Hollywood Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. If you've been with us the last several weeks, you know that we've been in a series on the book of Hebrews. We, we skipped last week. Pastor Bruce was back and uh, shared with us uh, some things about the gospel, and we're continuing on this Sunday in our series on the book of Hebrews. And we've entitled this series, Anchored, because as we've seen through this series, uh, we have a need as believers in Christ to actively anchor or tether ourselves to Christ, knowing that if we don't do so, there's a current in this world in which we live that desires to sweep us away from our relationship with the Lord. And apart from some kind of active uh, participation in clinging to Christ, we can find ourselves drifting away from Him. And we've seen that uh, demonstrated over a number of verses throughout the book of Hebrews, uh, the first nine and a half chapters up to this point. And this morning, we're going to uh, be looking at another of those sections in the middle of chapter 10. Um, but before we, we dive in and look at the verses we're going to see today, uh, I want to tell you a little update about my personal life. Um, and, and that is uh, the very, something very exciting happened to me this last week in that I joined a health club. Um, and, you know, it was, it was exciting. I, I went and I, I filled out the paperwork. I got this, this wonderful yellow piece of paper with uh, my, my information on it. And, and having filled this out and given them the appropriate cards, I, I got a little, little admissions ticket that I can scan and just go in. And they, they took me around. They gave me a tour. And they let me see the incredible facilities that were there and, and all the, the equipment that I was going to be able to exercise on. And, you know, I was, I was just taking all of this in, and I was just feeling stronger as I was doing it. Uh, I wanted to just take this home and frame it and put it right above my desk so I could feel that deep burn every time I just looked at it, you know, just, just feeling that exercise. And every time I got this out of my pocket that I, I, would, I would suddenly feel like I'd just gone through a great cardio workout and my overall health was going to improve merely by having this hanging on my wall and this residing in my pocket that somehow, you know, I was going to work my core by just sitting on it and watching this stuff. Um, and it, it was a part of that, that process, you know, that, that, that you realize that just belonging to a health club is not going to help you get stronger, right? Uh, just getting this piece of paper and just getting this tag will ultimately not produce the effect of making you stronger and more healthy. I'm convinced that, that health clubs know this and, and uh, they, they actually make a business out of people having this piece of paper and not showing up. Um, that's how they make their money. Um, but the, the reality is that if we want to truly get stronger, then we need to actually go through and, and do some exercises. You know, Friday after signing up, went and, and did some exercises, worked out my upper body, went and, and ran a little bit. And, you know, in, in doing those exercises, I was going more than just having the piece of paper, but actually doing something to, to produce the desired effect of being stronger. You know, I give you that illustration this morning because as believers in Christ, there was a point in the past, if you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, there was a point in the past where you placed your faith in Jesus and His saving work for you on the cross. You maybe got a certificate of baptism. You, you maybe got a, you know, some kind of a, a tag that said that you were a member of a church, and, and suddenly, as a part of that experience, 
Uh, You feel like just having those things on the wall in your pocket would make you stronger. But the reality is in our spiritual life that if we don't spiritually exercise, our membership is not at full value. Now, our our membership with Christ, our, our part of the body of Christ, is something that is solid and stable and secure. But if we want to be strong and active and dynamic in our spiritual life, we need to do more than just get the membership card. We need to exercise our spiritual life. And this morning, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. And in these three verses, or four verses, I think we see three different spiritual exercises that we need to regularly practice in order to grow in our spiritual strength. Um, you see, we, we've seen throughout the book of, of Hebrews, and specifically if you were with us two weeks ago when we looked at chapter 7 through the beginning of chapter 10, we've seen that we have entrance into, we have admission into this incredible body of Christ that has all these great blessings with it, but he gets to chapter 10, verses 22 through 25, and he says we need to exercise. And we're going to see what some of those exercises are this morning by looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 22 through 25. If you've got a Bible, take it out and open to Hebrews chapter 10. I think in order to best understand Hebrews 10, 22 through 25, though, we need to back up and get some context by reading verses 19 through 21. I believe verses 19 through 21 in, in Hebrews 10 basically serve as a summary of everything he had said in the previous three chapters. So if you missed two weeks ago, we're going to get a couple of verses here that will summarize the blessing that we have in Christ before he encourages us to certain actions, certain exercises of our spiritual life. He, he says in chapter 10, beginning in verse 19, this. He says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God. He's saying, since we have been offered admission into the body of Christ, we have a membership into the body of Christ with all of the blessings and opportunities herein. He says, in light of that, here comes some opportunities for us to exercise our spiritual life. He says in verse 22 and continuing, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, in those four verses, we see three exercises that we are encouraged to do with our spiritual life. Uh, What are they? The first one we see in, in verse 22, and that is that we are to draw near. We're to draw near. There's an encouragement, an admonishment for us to draw near, for us to draw near to God. Based on what has happened for us in Christ, that we are to draw near to Him. And this is something that ought to resonate with us as people. It's something that is common around the globe. People have a desire to know their Creator. People have a desire to be close to Him. 
Every religion in the world in some way is designed to answer the question, how can we have an intimacy with God? How can we have a relationship with him? How can we draw near to him? That's something that is common among people. It's something that is common among Christians. As people who have come into a relationship with Christ, we have a desire to be close to him. Not just to have the membership, but to have a close fellowship with him. We have, we have that desire. It's something that motivates us as believers in Christ. If you're here this morning, you know Christ. You have a desire to be close to God. If you're here, maybe you don't know Christ. You have a similar desire to be close to God. And and right here in verse 22, the author of the book of Hebrews encourages us to draw near to him. It says in verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. See, we have a desire to draw near, but this admonition comes not just with an echoing of our desire, but it comes with an explanation of the path by which we can draw near to God. It's found through being sprinkled clean and and being washed. And I think that's important because I think there are two reasons why people do not typically feel like they can draw near to God. Uh, I I say people, I'd go ahead and just maybe say it more simply. There, There are two reasons why as I search my heart, I feel like there's times when I don't feel like I can draw near to God. Two things that keep me from that. One of them Uh, is sin. Our sin causes us to feel like we cannot draw near to God. And you know, we don't have to think very hard. We don't have to do very long assessment on our lives to think of our sin. We don't have to think back, when was, you know, what what is sin in my life? Well, I think I remember something back when I was five or six years old. It was it was this day, and I took the blocks from my brother or sister. I tore up my sister's homework assignment. I actually did that. I don't have to go back that far, right? You don't, you don't have to go back that far. You don't have to go back to last year. You don't have to go back to the time before you trusted in Christ. You probably don't even have to go back before you walked in this room. You see, if we're going to be honest and we're to, to think about our lives, that, that we can think of many instances of our sin, not just what we've done on the outside, but our thought processes on the inside. Sin is something that, that all of us have, have committed on a regular basis. And, and if we're familiar with our sin and we, we, we hear regularly in the church and in the Scripture about the seriousness of sin and how it separates us from God, we begin to think, I cannot draw near to God because I'm a sinful person. Maybe if I ever get my act fully together, then I could draw near to God. But until that happens, I can't. One reason why we, we fail to heed the admonition of drawing near to God is because we feel like our sin disqualifies us. A second reason, though, why we, we fail to draw near sometimes is because we feel like we're not special enough. We think that drawing near to God is, is merely for some special category of Christian. That as, as you know, people who trust in Christ, that everybody might have the opportunity to be be saved, but, but certainly not everybody has the opportunity to be close to God, to draw near to Him. That's only for some super spiritual elite. You know, as a pastor, I hear this kind of stuff all the time. It's the thought, hey, w- would, you, would you pray for me because you're a pastor and you've got a direct line to God? Um, I'm like, really? I, I've got some kind of switchboard here. 
You know, I've got, a, I've got direct access. I've got the red bat phone. I can pick it up. I'm right in the throne room. But everybody else has to come through me. Really, is that, is that the way it works? But we think like that, right? We think that there are some people that have direct access to God while everybody else doesn't. It happens when I go, um, you know, home. I, I officiated the wedding of a, of a family member this weekend, and I had, uh, you know, a number of family would come up to me, and they would make comments to the effect of, you know, you're the holy one. You're, you're, you're the guy that has direct connection to God, and, and we don't, and it comes out in different ways. It even comes out on the golf course. There's this idea that if I hit a ball and I get a good bounce off the tree, it's like, hey, you're no fair, your, your, your boss is helping you out. You know, I'm like, look, if, if God is really that concerned about my golf game, he's not all that powerful. My golf game is terrible, right? There, there's nothing, you know, we, 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 have this, we have this thought in our minds that, that drawing near to God is only for some super spiritual elite. Not that I put myself in that category, but the fact that I'm a pastor, people say those kinds of things. You know, the amazing thing about our relationship with God. The amazing thing about what we have in Christ is that Jesus comes to us who feel like we cannot draw near to God because of our sin, who feel like we cannot draw near to God because we're not special enough. He comes to us and he says, you feel like you're, you have sin? You do, but guess what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna wash you clean. I'm gonna send my son to die on the cross to take all of the wrath that your sin deserves and I'm gonna take all of his righteousness and I'm gonna bathe you in it so that when I look at you, I see the righteousness of Christ. And he does that for every single believer. And he says, because of that, I'm going to ask you to draw near to me. We feel like we can't come because we're sinful. And he says, let me take care of that problem for you. If we wait to approach God until we are sinless, we will never approach him. But if we understand that we can approach God on the basis of what Christ has done, we don't have to wait for someday. We don't have to wait till we have eight days of sinless behavior. We don't have to wait until we, we look our Sunday best. We can approach God right now on the basis of what Christ has done for us. You see, we can draw near to him because he has sprinkled us clean and he invites us to draw, come close. And if you're a believer in Christ, you know this. This is the message that you believed. If you have never trusted in Christ, this is what God is offering you. He's offering to wipe away all of the wrath that he has towards your sin. Wipe it away, bathe you in Christ's righteousness, and invite you to draw near to him. This is what is offered, not because we're sinless, but because he's forgiven us. This is what we're offered in Christ. And you know what? In this current economy of God, we're all pretty special too. Do we think that there's some special spiritual elite who can draw near to him while others can't? But the reality is that in this current era in which we live, we all have the same access to God in Christ. Verses 19 to 21 tell us that. It says, therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus... Since we all have confidence to come close to God, to draw near to him because of what Christ has done, by the new and the living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the household of God. In other words, Jesus has torn down the barrier and he's invited us in so that drawing near to God is not something for some spiritual elite, but drawing near to God is some very real reality for everyone in this room who has trusted in Christ. See, we have the opportunity to exercise our membership in the body of Christ. 
by regularly drawing near God. Now, what does it look like to draw near to God? Well, I think one thing it looks like is it looks like we're running towards Him and not away from Him. You can imagine if you were to go to a party, and at that party were two friends, and one friend, you had just decided to pay for all of their children's college education, and you'd invited to mow their grass every day for the rest of their life, and you have told them this. And you have another friend who you just ran over their dog, and you just stole $10,000 out of their savings account. If you show up at that party, you have these two friends, which friend are you going to avoid and which friend are you going to seek out? You're going to run away from the one who you offended, and you're going to run towards the one that you're doing positive things with. And you know what? When it comes to our relationship with God, sometimes we think that we need to run away from God because we've sinned, and we need to run towards those who have made similar decisions that we have because we think that we can find some comfort there. We want to avoid him. But this passage would tell us that we don't avoid him. We run towards him. We run towards him not because we're perfect, not because we've done everything right. We have done sin that has offended the heart of God. But we run towards him because he has shown us great kindness. We run towards him because He's offered to pay for our kids' college education. I mean, not really, but follow the, follow the analogy. He, he's offered to cover over all of our sin and all of our debt. And he's offered us to come close to him. We approach him, we draw near to him, we run towards him, not because we're so great, but because he is and because he offers us to come near to him. And what that looks like in our lives is that we run towards him. We run towards him with everything. One of the ways that looks, and this is not comprehensive, but one of the ways that looks is we run towards him in prayer. When you have a need, when you have a difficulty, when you have a a stress, you can go directly to him. You don't need somebody else to patch you through. You can go directly to the throne room of God based on this work of Christ that invites us to draw near. We gather with others to pray. We ask others to pray, not because they have a line to God and we don't, but because we can make a chorus of prayer in the process. You have access to the Father in Christ. We can draw near to Him and bring the things we struggle with. See, The first thing that we see here, the first exercise we can do is we can draw near to Christ. Second thing, We can hold fast. We can hold fast. We see this in chapter 10 and verse 23. We can can hold fast. Look at what it says in 10.23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. See, what this passage is telling us is that there is something we need to hang on to. There's something that that is very old, something that is very tried and proven that we need to hang on to. And and this is something we need to know because as people, we're prone to want to go towards that which is new. We're prone to think that there is always something out there that is newer and better and greater. Think about the last time you bought a car. You looked all around, you you shopped for the car that you wanted, and and you, you purchased it. If you're a car person, you drive it home, you're excited about it, and after a short amount of time, you suddenly have found everything you don't like about that car, and you're thinking about how the next car you'll buy, what it'll be, what it'll look like, 
et cetera. We were thinking there's something better that's newer that's out there. Um, if you're into technology, we do this all the time. You, you, you shop, you research, you buy the computer that you really want, the phone that you really want. You get it home, and 10 minutes later, something has outdated it, something newer, better, faster, etc. And when that happens, and if we have the resources, what do we do? We put the old thing on eBay, and we buy the new thing. That's what we do. We sell out the old to buy the new, thinking that it's, it's where we want to go. And I think that this same kind of process is something that happens in our spiritual lives with our beliefs, that we have a temptation as believers in Christ to sell out the old to buy the new. We have a temptation to, to say, you know what, the old truth in Scripture isn't working anymore. Based on the, the collective wisdom of those I work with, based on the collective wisdom of those that my kids go to school with, based on the collective wisdom of my family, whatever it is, this isn't working. I'm going to sell this old truth on eBay and buy the newest, the latest, and the greatest, thinking that it is the way to go. Whether it's an issue like Christ as the only way to salvation, whether it's an issue about morality, we think we'd be better off by selling the old and buying the new. And there's a subtle temptation for us as believers in Christ to do that with our lives. But this passage comes along and tells us that if we want to be spiritually strong, one of the exercises we need to do is we need to hang on to, we need to hold on to our confession of hope without wavering. Now, now what, is, what, is, what does it mean when he says hold on this, to this confession of hope, hold fast to it? I think it's beautiful that he calls it a confession of hope because the reason why we want to exchange the old truth for a new idea is because the old truth hasn't seemed to pay off yet. I mean, let's be honest. If everything that the Bible says was wrong was immediately punished, we would stop doing it. We would acknowledge that it wasn't good. But it doesn't happen that way, does it? If we thought that every good action that the Bible prescribes, was, was, was immediately rewarded. We would do that instead, right? But the reality is we have to live life hoping for a time that we don't see. We, we have a confession that these things are true and they will prove true in the future even if we don't see it living out that way right now. And the way to exercise and grow spiritually is not to sell this out for a new idea, but it's to hang on tight hoping for the day when Christ makes it realized on the earth. I don't know what the environment you live in, what the, the temptations are, what the, the beliefs are that, that those around you would subtly or not so subtly ask you to, to post on eBay and sell so that you could, could buy something new. I don't know if it has to do with beliefs in the Bible about divorce and remarriage, about sexuality, about the way to, the, to God through Christ as the only way. Um, I don't know what it is, but, but we live in a world that is, that is, that is so, and depending on where you live and depending on your situation, there are, are most certainly people in all of our lives that would want us to sell this out for something new. But what we've been called to do is to spiritually exercise by holding fast to this belief. And in so doing, we grow in our relationship with the Lord. So we draw near 
but we also need to hold fast. There's a third thing that is mentioned here, a third uh, exercise for us to do spiritually, and that is that we need to stir up. Stir up. We see this in verses 24 and 25, and, and ultimately this stirring up has something to do with us congregating or gathering together as believers. And if you are somebody who has been a believer for a while, I want you to think back to the time when you first trusted in Christ. And if you are someone who has recently trusted in Christ, you can just think about your current life. But when you, when you think about the time when you trusted in Christ, uh, what was your motivation level for gathering with other believers? It's very high, right? You, you wanted to do it. You, you couldn't wait. You, you trust Christ at church camp. You can't wait to get back for that next youth meeting, that next Sunday morning. Uh, if you're somebody who has come to Christ as an adult, that, that next opportunity that you had after that to gather with believers, whether it was a Bible study, something that was happening in, in, in your workplace, something that uh, you come in that next Sunday morning, whatever it was, there was a, a fervor, an excitement about gathering together as believers. This is what happens to us when we first trust in Christ. You know, a funny thing happens to us when we've been believers for a while is we begin to lose some of our urgency to gather together with other believers. We begin to think that it's, it's not that important. We, we begin to think, you know, I've, I've been a believer for a while. I'm really, I'm not going to hear anything new. The themes that are going to be shared in the message, I've heard a thousand times before. You know, the songs that we're going to sing, I've sung them before. I've thought about their words before. The people I'm going to see, I've seen before. You know, it's not as, as important, we think, for people who have been believers for a while to gather together because we've already been there, done that. And there's this subtle temptation over time for, for people who have been believers for a while to devalue the experience of gathering together as the body of Christ. That is not just our temptation, that's the temptation of the first century as well. Even the very first set of Christians, they've been believers maybe 30 years when the book of Hebrews is written. They're given an admonishment, an encouragement to not forsake meeting together. But look what it says. We'll see in verse 25. It says, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. You know what's fascinating to me about that? It says, encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. What he's saying is, the more time goes on, the more you need to gather together with other believers. Isn't that fascinating? It's the opposite of what we think. Hey, new believer, man, they, they're excited. They want to be here. Old believer, ah, we've been there, done that. Maybe we'll come, maybe we won't. This passage would indicate to us that regardless of your length of time that you've been a believer, you absolutely need to gather together with others on a regular basis. And, and why is that? Is it because we, we have a need to be, to be wowed with the newest, latest experience? Is it because there's some incredible piece of information that we've, we've never heard before that's going to make this incredible difference? Is it because um, we're going we're to see somebody and they're going to look at us and they're going to give us some unbelievable prophecy over our lives that we've never heard before? I mean, no, that's, that's not it. See, if we're, we're thinking about that, that's like the person who exercises and works out thinking that, you know what, this, my next workout is going to be amazing. I'm going to go in, I'm going to lift weights for an hour, I'm going to walk out of there just incredibly huge and incredibly in shape. If that's your expectation, you go to the gym and you work out and then you walk out and you look just like you did when you walked in, you're like, man, I'm giving this thing up. 
I'm going to find a new health club. I'm not delivering on the promise. See, when we, when we begin to put so much emphasis on one event, when we can dismiss the whole thing, but the reality is when we work out, it's the collective lot of over and over again for a long period of time that leads to the change in the way we look. In our spiritual lives, it's, it's the regular gathering together again and again and again that has a cumulative effect that is far greater than any one meeting. Verse 24 tells us that we should consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. See, us gathering together with other believers is, is a process of us stirring up in one another a desire and a will and a normalcy to serving God with our lives. You know, if, if you're a, a believer in Christ, that means that you have a, a radical and a weird and a different perspective on life than those around you. You have a different idea about what to do with your time, what to do with your money, what to do with your eternity, what to do with your kids, what matters. You've got a whole different perspective than, than those in, in the community. But, but here, here's the deal. If, if you only are around people for whom that's weird, over time, you'll become less weird. You'll become more like them. Now, this is not to say we retreat and all we do is gather together with each other. We have a, a need to have an impact in the community, but we need to regularly be gathering together as believers because behavior and ideas and thoughts that are weird out there ought to be normal in here. And we ought to draw encouragement daily from the fact that we're in this together. There ought to be an inertia as a church because we are weird together. We are trusting God together for things that are to make no sense out there but make all the sense in the world in here. And that ought to give us the confidence to live the life that God has called us to. We need to stir up. We need to literally in the original to irritate one another on to love and good deeds. We need to get together not to impart some new information, not to have some incredible experience. We need to get together for the steady progress of inertia of trusting God. See, we have far more influence on each other than we think. The things we say, the things we think about, the way we behave is largely influenced by those we're around. We need each other to spur, to stir up one another the love, and the good deeds. Now, why is it that the Hebrews were considering forsaking meeting together? What was it about this initial set of believers that was causing them to, to not want to meet together? I think we find the answer to that in verses 32 through 34. It says this, it says, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Why were the Hebrew Christians thinking about not gathering together with others? Why were they thinking about taking their spiritual life and making it them and Jesus and not the church? Why were they considering neglecting the meeting together? Well, the reason why is because it was getting hard to be a Christian. Because of their faith in Christ, they were experiencing persecution. 
They were experiencing arrest and imprisonment. They were experiencing beatings. They were experiencing their businesses being torn down and burned. They were experiencing difficulties within their families. They were going through all kinds of hard times in their, in their spiritual life because of their affiliation with the church. They would gather in these, in these meetings with other believers, and it would mark them to their friends. Oh, they're one of them, and they would treat them poorly because of that. And so some of them were experiencing that, thinking, you know what, maybe I'd be better off just doing this Christian thing on my own, apart from my believing friends, apart from my church, I'm going to forsake gathering together because I'm tired of of the beatings and and being thrown in prison and, and all that kind of stuff. And the writer of the book of Hebrews says, no, don't do that. Don't forsake meeting together because of the difficulty that you're experiencing. But continue to meet together more and more as the day draws near. Because the author of Hebrews and God knows that we need each other to create the inertia and the momentum to live out the life that God has called us to. We are way more important to each other than we think that we are. It's important that we gather together. Now, we, we live in a different time. I don't know of, of anyone who is going through the same type, the same sort of persecution that was associated here. Now, if you are, I am not trying to minimize your experience at all. Um, you know, I know some have had difficulty with their family because of their faith in Christ and all kinds of things. But just imagine if you were in a midst of a culture that was dead set against you. When you leave here today, we have a police officer that helps us make left turns onto 24th Avenue. Imagine if that police officer was out there not to help you make a left turn, but to write down your license plate and arrest you later today. That's the experience of believers in the world today. If that was your experience, would you think twice about coming? You see, and, and, and hear me when I say this. I'm speaking to myself. I, I'm, not, I'm not going after all. This is, this is for all of our, of all of our benefit. But we, we fail to heed the reminder to gather together regularly, not because of the persecution we're ensuing, but because we have too many entertainment options. We have too many other things that we could do. And because of that, the priority of gathering together as believers, whether it's on Sunday morning, whether it's a part of a, of a, of a group of believers, begins to slide down. I, I'll, I'll participate in fellowship if I have time, if it fits my schedule. If everything else goes well, then I'll do that. And it flows to the bottom of the list. And, and again, I'm, I'm speak, speaking to myself here. See, when we, when we have that as our, as our pattern, when, when the priority of gathering as believers slides down, then what we've done is we've devalued the importance of each other. We've forgotten that the life that we're called to is a weird life, and we need each other living weirdly together to encourage us to trust God together, to live into Him. If we separate from each other, we have the risk of drifting downstream. Now, I'm not saying that you could never, there's never a reason to, to miss. There's never a reason to, to, to be gone for a weekend or to, to miss a small group or something like that. I'm talking about not any individual time. I'm talking about the overall priority of your life. As you think about your summer, as you think about your fall, as you begin to, to think about your family, that, that your spiritual expressions of worship and community, that they would not be relegated to the bottom of your priority list. Because we need each other 
more than that. You know, it's a temptation when I talk about something like this because I'm a pastor that you're thinking, well, sure, this is a pastor's love verses like this. You know, hey, let them talk about that and, and then, then, then we'll get more people in here because they want more people in front of them. I mean, hey, I, I'll be honest with you, it, it's awesome when every seat's full. I, I love that. But this, I, I'm searching my heart on this. That's, that's not why I'm saying this. I'm not saying this so that we have more people in seats. For the sake of my benefit or Bruce's benefit or Greg's benefit. I'm saying this because we need each other. We need to not forsake meeting together because we are called to live a different weird life and we need each other to have a place where that's normal. We need a place to spur one another on and we need to make it a priority to gather together. It costs them something. It costs them arrest and imprisonment and beating and loss of business. It costs us something. It costs us maybe one less weekend away, one less morning sleeping in. It costs us one less night that we have free to do something else. It costs us something too. But, but in the process of giving up those things, we have the opportunity to live a life of faith, saying that we need each other to live the life that God has called us. I'm going to invite the worship team to come on up. And uh, to prepare to lead us in a closing song. And as they come, I want to just reiterate, if you're a believer in Christ, at some point in the past, you began your relationship with God. Maybe you got a baptism certificate. Maybe you got a membership certificate in the church. Maybe you had some defining event where it, where it began. But today, as you sit there and as I stand here, we all have a need and a desire to be stronger spiritually. And, and the way we get there is not just by looking at the certificate. The way we get there is by exercising spiritually in, in three different ways in which this passage has encouraged us to exercise spiritually, to draw near to Him, to hold fast our confession of hope, and to stir up one another to love and good deeds. As we exercise in that way, we have an opportunity for God to strengthen us in our relationship with Him. Uh, please stand and join us as we close this song.